Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab grown diamond bands, all hand finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. That's... Yeah, they have asked for that, really. France are going to the World Cup. Get over it. This fellow Ronaldo is a cop. Boom, 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 it follows. Boom, 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 it yellow card. Nah, that's a trick of bollocks, sir. I'll have to ask you to mind your language. And I suggest you shut up and show more football. Good lad. I don't throw teacups. It's not my style. I think I'd rather throw punches. What you doing down here, you shorty man? <laughs> Hello there. You're very welcome to a special edition of the Irish Times Set and Captain's Podcast with Owen Murph and Ken. Hello, Owen. How Hello are you? There. You've become one person to me now. Murph and Ken. Right. It's a special edition because last night we officially launched the second Captain Sports Annual Volume 1 at the Grand Social in Dublin. Great night. We were back to where we did our first ever live show, Second Captains, back in the sweltering summer of 2013. That's another story, Murph. I don't want to tell people about how much I sweated that night a couple of years ago. You uh, did it already to a room <laughs> full of people. Yes, yes. No. We've edited that bit out, I hope, of this, uh, this conversation we, here. But less sweaty last night. Uh, thoroughly enjoyable, though, I must say. And I think we discovered, I don't know if it's a hidden talent of Ken Early's here. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, there there are some examples in the book of Ken's uh, doodling. Uh, what page number you have it there open? Oh, yeah, uh, just, yes, yeah, so not really hidden talent. I mean, it's already yeah. in the book, but uh, we saw more examples of it last night. Uh, page 85 of the Second Campus Annual Sports Annual Volume 1. So, uh, in the past, we've been in meetings where I have may have said things that have annoyed Ken in some way. Yeah. And at the end of said meetings, he would present me with a doodle of me that he had drawn. None of them flattering. No. Uh, I did my best. Yeah, I mean, I suppose you're you're working with limited materials there, but uh, none of them flatter. There's there's one of a kind of like a, a very unfair uh, pot belly one, the middle one there on page yeah. eighty four, whatever it is. But uh, so it, whatever, <laughs> very skinny man with this little pot belly. Tiny little well, actually, pot belly. your face on that one weirdly looks a lot like. Well, I don't want to bring your family into this, Murphy. Mm. But he's kind of got you looking a bit like John there. It's true, it's actually. my brother, yeah. You know I mean? Yeah, it's more, that's more yeah, John's face Yeah, that is true, appearance. actually, now looking at it, yeah. Um, but either way, he, he Ken has a talent. Yeah. He has a talent. I wouldn't describe it as a talent. Uh, it's more just get it out there, you know what I'm saying? I mean, there are talented artists, and then there are artists who just make art anyway. <laughs> uh, it's a bit like um, trying to speak a foreign language when you can't really speak it. Mm. <clears throat> it's, it's <clears throat> excuse me, my, I would compare my drawing to Giovanni Trapattoni's English. So, you know, I'm just going to, I'm just going to do it. I don't care. I don't care that I don't really have any talent. I'm just going to do it anyway. Yeah. And uh, and hopefully people can recognize what's, you know, what I'm trying to draw. So, yeah. And so if, they, if they can recognize what I'm trying to draw, I consider it to be a success. Hmm. Uh, well, so Ken took some of this, uh, this talent and uh, poured it out onto the opening pages of uh, many of the books that we saw last night for people who came up and wanted them autographed. So, <laughs> autographed I, slash desecrated. Yeah. So I, I saw a few of them. Uh, one of them uh, was of kind of like a desert, a desert scene, a road, 
and then under it, we were somewhere around Barstow on the edge of the desert when the drugs began to take hold. <laughs> that's a Ken Road. <laughs> yeah, well, which uh, was the first line of Fear and Loathing in yeah. Las Vegas. Yeah. Uh, and there was like a whole vast ream of script. My, my, two of my aunties were there last mm-hmm. night. They had a great time, Mary and Margaret. And, hello, uh, Mary and Margaret. Hello there. Uh, and uh, I was talking to Margaret afterwards, and she said, I had a great time. I met, well, I didn't really meet Ken. He just wrote in the book for about five minutes, and then he handed it back to me, and that was it. <laughs> uh, so God only knows what you wrote in my, my Auntie Margaret's Wish book. Wish I could remember. Well, let's pick this up with Ken's last night at the Grand Social, with Ken talking about the latest travails of everybody's favourite former Irish underage international turned aspiring England senior international. Yeah, the sad uh, story of Jack Grealish. Um, I think we can see him here suffering the effects of having taken way too many selfies in his life. This is, I think his lips are slightly empurpled by the sheer number of trout bites. He always does it in a selfie. I don't know if you've seen Grish, but he, lips, he, yeah. he loves that. Like, it's, it's unbelievable. But unfortunately for him, he went out after Villa's 4-0 uh, defeat to Everton, I think. Uh, went boozing in Manchester. Um, okay, you know, sometimes, you know, when you're young, you do these things. Then went for an all-dayer the next day. Uh, at which point... Rollover is the big problem, really. <laughs> At which point his new boss, uh, Remy Gard, new boss, I mean, he's only been there a few days, it's kind of like, Jack, you're really not making this easy for me here. You know, what, re- what really am I supposed to do? So he has been busted down now to train with the kids. Uh, it's I haven't actually, I haven't even seen the term banished in a long time, but that was the phrase being used by the journalist who broke the story for the Daily Telegraph, or at y- least his headline writer. Yeah, yeah, so, uh, so poor Jack is, is back down with the youth team and has a lot to think about is right now. Is he not just a victim at this stage of his own burgeoning reputation as a bit of a party animal? No, he's, he's a victim of his own party animal-ness. And uh, stupidity, in fairness. I mean, you know, if, if, there, if, if a video is an existence of you partying in a nightclub, then o- yeah. automatically you've met a major blunder there. Yeah, uh, they need to stop doing that. Okay, in keeping with the light and breezy tone of a typical book launch, we're going to ask the question tonight, should there be a United Ireland football team? Did you get them rolling in the aisles? Not sure, how, not sure how we got into this one, but now that the two O'Neills have brought uh, the two sides back to the top table of European football, why not combine the powers of both countries in the future and take the football world by storm? Ken, you've been working away in an all-time combined Irish team, north and south. Yeah, I have. Uh, on, I have uh, I've been looking through history to try and find the very best uh, Irish players, north and south, northmen and southmen. And, uh, and here it is. Uh, in goal, it's actually quite a simple choice. It's Big Pat there. Huh? Uh, there was always, it yep. was between him and Shea and the great Harry Gregg, uh, really. <laughs> but, of course, Football of the Year here in 1976 uh, sealed the deal. Uh, right fullback, Dennis Irwin. Owen. Uh, at least a 7 out of 10. More often an 8, sometimes a 9. Mm. Uh, that's, that's what you so get from... He, he played less well in some games and better in yeah. others. Yeah, that's yeah, our that's, Sermon, all right. That's it. But never that badly. Uh, much like the man uh, right next to him in defence, which is Big Paul. Uh, so Big Pat and Big Paul. This is uh, the best defender, I think, ever to come from Ireland north to south. Alongside him is where it got a bit uh, more difficult. I mean, you've got guys like uh, David O'Leary, Kevin Moran, Charlie Hurley, Big Mal Donaghy. Big Mick McCarthy. Uh, Jerry Taggart, of course, mm. uh, notwithstanding the airline uh, incident. Uh, Chris, <laughs> my nose is all over my face, Nickel. Uh, and, and Jackie Blanchflower, you know, who, who could forget Jackie Blanchflower? Uh, but I went actually in the end for Richard Dunn. Uh, I've always basically loved Richard Dunn. Uh, so he's going to be he's gonna be there. Left back, I mean, you've got Hewton, Staunton, and, and who could forget um, Wilbur uh, Cush. 
Uh, although his later career in the B specials uh, means maybe he's <laughs> maybe he wouldn't want to necessarily be part of this team. Uh, it had to be Johnny Carey. You got to think about uh, dressing room ballads there, all right? Yeah, with the old the B specials. There's Jackie Carey, the second ever winner of Football of the Year after the Stanley Matthews. Uh, you've, seen, you've seen a lot of footage of him play over the years, I'm sure. Yeah, he, play, he played so for both. parts of Jackie Carey's game do, where you, were you a particular admirer of? From, yeah. the, from the tapes that you've watched, Ken. Uh, he, he played for both uh, the Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland before FIFA said, hang on a second, this is ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> we, we can't have this nonsense going on. Seems like a rather strange uh, situation there. So in midfield, probably the first name in the team sheet here is, is Roy Keane. Uh, Particularly menacing photograph of Kino, actually. Yeah, he <laughs> looks like an absolute alien in that photograph, but he's not. American History X there, yeah. And he's, got, he's probably a little bit annoyed there because he's just been told that he's not going to be the captain of this team. Uh, the captain, the armband goes, the only man on the scene to win Football of the Year twice. That is, of course, Danny Blanchflower, uh, who talked to, he talked to a great game. The game is about glory, it's about doing things with style. You know, this is the man who, who came up with that quote. He also told Eamon Andrews where to go live on air. I mean, I just came up and said, oh, Danny Blanchard, this is your life. Danny Blanchard turned around and said, I consider this show to be an invasion of privacy and <laughs> walked off. And that was it. And it was live. So I'm, I'm not quite sure what Eamon Andrews did. But so is there a best of that they roll out in a situation like that? Or? No, I think it was just down to stagecraft for the next uh, <laughs> 27 minutes. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, next up is, um, who is next up? Oh, it's George Best. Best a straightforward choice. Ten years today since, since George Best died, sadly. But uh, he was, he's unquestionably going to get in this team. Um, and alongside him there is Liam Brady, uh, adding a little bit of craft, vision, uh, dribbling, passing, and so on. Uh, next up, a couple of options here. Um, there was Bertie Peacock, of course, the little ant of Celtic Park. Of course, yeah. Uh, the, the likes of Joe Bambrick. You know, head, heel, or toe, slip it to Joe. <laughs> uh, but I, I decided to go for Damien Duff. He was just my favorite player. Uh, so I'm afraid he's going to have to be in the team. Uh, and last of all, uh, up front, okay, we've got an embarrassment of riches almost. Well, we've, we've given it away a little bit there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was going to mention... Thank the you for that, Mark. There was the, the, great, the great Peter Doherty, of course. Uh, man marked on one occasion by Bill Shankly. Uh, he was a £10,000 transfer at the time, which was a huge amount of money in those days. Of course. Uh, but Bill Shankly marked him out of the game so comprehensively that a wag in the crowd was heard to shout, and this is a voice echoing from the 1930s, was heard to £10,000? More like 10,000 cigarette cards. <laughs> this, was, this was the insult, and it was recorded, and I'm telling you about it now. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I've, gone, I've gone to the end for Big Norm. Uh, you might ask why I went for an injury-prone central midfielder uh, who scored nine international goals yeah. as a centre-forward of this team. Mind, yeah. But actually, Big Norm was a centre-forward to start out with before injuries robbed him of his pace. And uh, he was a, a, a cultured footballing presence, a big man, of course, the youngest man to play in the World Cup. And big uh, character in the dressing room as well, of course. We need, we've, got, we've got Bestie, we've got Duffer, you know, breaking at speed. What we need is a big man with uh, velvet touch and jagged elbows. To uh, to provide that you know target up front, so Norman Whiteside uh, is, the, is the last man on the team. Well, I did see a keen observer of football tactics there. Can shout out no strikers, almost in shock. Somebody there in the middle. You have explained a little bit about Norman Whiteside there and where he fits in, but maybe give us your rundown here. How modern? Uh, well, uh, strategy are we looking? I at? mean, this is how, how obviously Pat Jennings is going to go and goal. Nothing too revolutionary there. Uh, back four is I'm, I'm going to play a flat back four because you know obviously Carey and. Uh, Irwin have, have license to, to get forward. Central defenders are going to be in that central defensive 
area. So your so your manager is going to deal in cliches yeah. like most managers do. I like screening them there, uh, just sitting uh, sitting in front of the defense is, is Blanche Flower, uh, and then we've got box to box uh, Roy Keane, uh, Brady. You know more the more the passer in that midfield, more the controller. And then uh, our you front three. You get outnumbered in midfield, of course, can you? Our front three. I've gone with the right foot. I'm going with the left footer on the left and the right footer on the right, you know, but it's the left footer behind them and the right footer in behind, you see. So this kind of this scope there for, you know, people to run across each other, if you know what I mean. <laughs> and then up front, up front there's, uh, there's Big Norm. You know, he's, uh, he's all alone up there, but, uh, you know, I think he's, he's got the strength to... Uh, you won't really notice that. There's a rather notable omission in central midfield there, I would have thought. Anyone... Giles again. Giles. The crowd are screaming for him. Well, <laughs> this is the a tough. Crowd this are is whispering in a very polite manner, for Giles. as though we're in a s watching a Giles. snooker tournament. <laughs> this is a difficult team to get into. Someone has to, you know, re remain in the stands and, and commentate on what's happening. So there's a bit of. You've known something about this team, haven't well, you? I was about to say it's it. It's just there's quite a few. You know, it seems like you'd have a pretty good party with these guys. You know, this, yeah, this team is a team we've of got party. We've got bestie, uh, Norman Whites, Adam Paul McGrath. Is this a kind of uh, management? You know, you don't care what they do as long as they do the, good, do, do the business on I, the I would trust this team. I would trust this team to deliver, you know. Um, it could, maybe, maybe they would enjoy their victories. And what's wrong with that? And there, there'll be plenty of victories to enjoy. Uh, it's time to, I think, find out why football is the one sport in Ireland that has two separate national teams. Cormac Moore has just written a book on the subject called The Irish Soccer Split. And let's bring out two men also who were here for us that very first night in the Grand Social back in 2013. They're here again tonight, our favourite ever contributors to the show. Well, I suppose it's Shane Horgan, but he's, over, Shane Horgan. he's over in London. And Dervil O'Rourke is amazing. She just had a kid. You make Murph it. as well, of course. Yeah, we yeah. tried to get him over. It didn't quite work out. But anyway. Yeah. Well, anyway, forget about those guys. Give it a please for our two favourites, Richie Sadler and Oshin McConville. <laughs> Lads are all very welcome. Richie, I might as well, just before we go on with this topic of conversation, ask you for your own reaction to Ken Erdy's all-time combined Irish 11. Well, when I first saw it, I did notice the absence of John Giles, and I thought, Giles has got to be in it. But then I realised I've never actually seen John Giles play. <laughs> so I'd be talking absolute shite if I was to plumb for him. Uh, no, a bit of him on YouTube. It's, you can, you no can see 10 minutes or so of, of Giles on YouTube. What Tormenting Southampton in exactly the way he criticises players for... Uh, what does Robbie Keane have to do to get in your team? 67 goals. Just didn't fit with the style of the team, you know? <laughs> I just didn't know if he offers a physical presence in the lone striker role that I was looking for. I mean, I would have him there alongside Joe Bambrick on the bench. So, Keane's uh, got to be in it. It's a style of team that hates scoring goals, apparently. And it just, just doesn't quite suit. Listen, Oshin, are you glad that Northern Ireland qualified for the Euros? Um. Oh. <laughs> I, w I was actually glad because I didn't think we were going to have anybody to cheer on for a while. But uh, as I said, uh, my in-laws are from Louth, and I said this to you uh, last week. But um, they said, "Jesus, are you going to watch the match Friday and Monday night?" And I said, "I, I don't know if I'll b I don't know if I'll bother really because we've qualified already." <laughs> and uh, I was able to turn that back around its head though uh, very quickly and become a become a Republic of Ireland supporter. But the the thing about about the North is that. It's a real weird situation because I don't live in the north or the south. I live in a wee pocket of South Armagh that is sort of <laughs> is all on its own. Uh, I don't know where we belong. I don't know if we belong in the north or we belong in the south. 
if you go into a shop and cross, you're able to play, pay with sterling or euro, um, or any sort of currency, really. <laughs> um, but uh, I, suppose, I suppose the thing is that things have got a lot better up there. There will be a lot more sympathy towards uh, the North uh, and the gays who would have played with it, who would have played, like you mentioned, Jerry Taggart, Neil Lennon, boys like that who've all come through uh, playing Gaelic football. Um, it would, I would never have dreamt of going to um, Ravenhill to watch a, a rugby game 10, 15 years ago, but I actually would now. You know, we used to get in the bus every Christmas and head for uh, Cork to watch Monster playing. That's what we did. We used to come up to Dublin. You know, we've been here on, on, on team trips, come up to Dublin, watch Lancer, go for a few drinks, stuff like that. Now we probably will go to Ravenhill. So things have changed a lot in the last 10, 15 years. Have you been to Windsor Park, though? Uh, no, I was invited. I was actually invited because uh, Sport and I were doing sp- sports ambassadors, but I was washing my hair that night and <laughs> had a pile of ironing to do as well. What? <laughs> why would you not go? Yeah, if you go to Ravenhill, why not? What's the difference? Yeah. Uh, I've always just thought that it, it's the atmosphere there just wouldn't be conducive to somebody from South Armagh sta- sitting in the middle of it. And that could be, I could be wrong, but it's, it's a pretty intimidating place to go. Um, the funny thing is that Windsor Park, anybody knows what Windsor Park is, it's in the right area of town for us, you know, so to speak. So um, I just, I've just never had the inkling to go. It's now, let's face it, it's never been great football to watch either. You know what I mean? I'd rather go and watch uh, a bit of rugby. When you were a young lad, though, uh, I mean, there, was the, there were the teams of the 80s, they were getting to World Cups. Um, have you become in any way more or less connected over the years to the Northern Irish soccer team? Yeah, I would say so, because I got to know a few lads, you know, down through the years, got to know Gillespie and Healy and boys like that, and, and I suppose softened to them, because they're all really good lads. Like, you know, you think, the thing with the political end of things is you think you're dealing with aliens from one end, of the, they thought the same of me, you know, uh, they couldn't believe when they met me it didn't smell of diesel and uh, <laughs> and all that sort of thing but I have a funny story with that have, have we got time oh, uh, yeah. well I think it's funny anyway it's the only story I have so we'll tell it right well we'll, uh, we'll, we'll cut it out of the podcast part of it, <laughs> work, machine, it wouldn't be the first thing you cut out but anyway <laughs> uh, uh, my wife's from, from Louth which is uh, she's from Dundalk it's literally 8 miles from where I am she moved into the area um, I, one of the things you know, there's a few rules and regulations that probably don't adhere. You don't adhere to in Dundalk that you do have to in Cross Midland. One of the things I said to her whenever she moved, I said, "Don't use the petrol station across the road because there's washed diesel there." So that was all right. Never thought any more about it. Uh, six months later, we're sitting around uh, the in-laws for for um, Christmas dinner. Um, uh, they were asking her, "Was it like to live in Cross Midland? How do you like it?" Yeah, it's great. There's such a you know, there's a great atmosphere around and I feel as if I'm involved in the club and the community, all that sort of thing. And she said, she said, she turned to her dad and she said, you know what, the petrol station that we go to, it even washes your diesel for you. <laughs> and uh, our father just stood there, he just, he just went, don't say it, don't say it. So we we never actually put our right on that. Uh, Richie, do you um, sometimes lie awake at night or even sleep in bed at night dreaming of a, an All-Ireland football team? I don't, um, and you know what? Even even coming on here tonight, like we we generally, you give us a heads up about the topic we're, we're we're due to discuss, and I find it very hard to get that animated about this topic. I'm just really indifferent to the whole thing. Like I don't I don't watch a rugby game and go, 
this is how it should be. They're representing 32 counties, and I don't feel any sense of loss or anything that it's missing because there's only 26 counties represented in the Aviva. I just, it's, it's not a topic I, I spend any time thinking about or talking about. If I'm in the company of anyone who goes on about a United Ireland, I, I just take out my, you know, you just take out your phone and text them, wait till they're finished, and it's, it's not a... Well, we're, not ta- not we're not talking about a United Ireland. But I think you have to have a United Ireland in order to get a United Ireland team. Would you well, not? Yeah, talking there's about two a team. Diff- yeah. But there, there's two different countries being represented by two different teams at the moment. Two different currencies, governments, two cultures, two, two different things. To unite the two of them at this stage, like how would you see that happening? Well, I mean, it happens in every other sport. In, every, in every other sport, we have, an, we have an Irish team. So what we're talking about here is, is a team which, which could represent everybody... In Ireland, you know that that would represent all the traditions in this country. You know, we'd have, uh, uh, you know, the in- including including the people who currently support the Northern Irish team. I mean, it would be, it would make it would be a slightly different thing from the Republic of Ireland team that we have now. Obviously, I mean, it would be like joining the two. I'm not saying it would be like us taking over Northern Ireland. But That's how how, how would it there. come about? Are you working off the assumption that the flag would be the tricolour, that the anthem would be the one we you can have? change the flag. I mean, so you're compromising everything. It'd be a totally different setup. I mean, yeah, it's, it is. It is compromise. I mean, it's it's worth it. It's it's worth compromising. I think to to bring people together. I mean, at the moment, what we have is two separate teams, which actually reinforce the idea of division and separateness, and they become the they become like a focal point for extremism. You know, the fact that there's this split reinforces the idea in people's heads that you know people Northern Irish people are different from Southern Irish people. When you know, it's th- that's quite a recent idea peacefully coexisting alongside each other there are two teams and works very well for everyone there's a section of people up in the north who I think would probably resent a lot of what the Republic represents and to them uniting a team would cause great difficulty for for genuine reasons if they were to sit here now and explain why they think what they think it's just not a topic that, that grabs me. Well, there was... Uh, luckily, it is a ta- uh, topic that grabbed Cormac because he's written a book on it. Uh, as I mentioned earlier <laughs> on, it's called The Irish Soccer Split. Uh, not sure if Richie's going to read the whole lot, Cormac, but... No, but p- probably not, probably not. Can you explain to us... Uh, there was a United Ireland team, so why are there two separate soccer teams when, as Ken says, rugby, hockey, lots of other sports, we see United Ireland teams? Why are there two separate teams in soccer? Um, well, we kind of touched upon it um, in that most of those other sports were able to compromise over flags and anthems and things like that and venues um, whereas uh, they, a lot of people believe the Irish soccer split happened because of partition of the, you know, the, the political partition of the country it happened the same year but the reality is it was a power struggle um, um, soccer is very unusual in Ireland that it's, it was governed from Belfast whereas all other sports were governed from Dublin and Dublin and Leinster believed that they were bi- or Belfast was a big bias towards Belfast they had all the seats on the uh, IFA council they all of all pretty much there were six internationals, I think, in Dublin from 1882 to 1921. The rest were in Belfast. Um, most of the international players came from the Northeast. So there was a, there was a clear bias uh, t- uh, towards uh, the Northeast. Was there a particular incident? Was there one, something that lit the touch paper there that just got the, the, the two teams, the two associations separated from each other over? Yeah, it was, it was March 21. Um, it was a, an Irish Cup uh, semi final, and Shelburne had to travel to Belfast to play Glenavon. Um, who were from, from Lurgan, and they drew that game. So they assumed, like every other replay, that they would have to, to replay in Dublin. The um, authorities believed it was too dangerous to travel to, to Dublin at the time with the, the War of Independence raging, even though Belfast suffered more violence than the Dublin did. 
Um, so they said that Shelburne had to uh, return to Belfast. They refused to do so and, and left the IFA and formed the FAI subsequently. So this is basically the FAI's fault. Yeah, you could say that. Yeah, yeah. The creation of the FAI is what caused the. Split. Yeah, but they didn't. They didn't create themselves to be for twenty six counties. You know, they 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 were an all Ireland uh, body, and they they actually uh, took teams from the Falls and District League in Belfast. Um, they, I think they took twenty three teams from Belfast. So they never considered themselves a partition team. We are just for the Irish. Free, there was no Irish Free State, and even there was like the, the a partition was only coming into being at the time. So they considered themselves an, an all Ireland body. Cormac, what I found most interesting to, uh, reading through your book was the fact that there were a lot of attempts made to see if there was some common ground if a United Ireland team could come together at some point uh, a lot of the time it seemed half-hearted enough to be honest the way you talk about it, it's just football blazers meeting each other over stuff but uh, in and around the 70s it, yeah. when the troubles were really getting bad it seemed like that's when actually they got reasonably close yeah I only found that out when I was doing my second draft I had my publisher deal and I was just tidying up a few things and so I went up to the uh, IFA records in Belfast just to see, was there any mention of that Shamrock Rovers 11 game in 73 between the, there were six uh, players from the Republic of Ireland, five from Northern Ireland, who played that brilliant Brazilian team in, in 73. Yeah, great Irish player as well, Giles was playing, those Giles, kind of guys. That, that's Derek the photo there, yeah. organised yeah. it and all the rest of it. And, and yeah. so did Giles and Liam Toohey yeah, was managing yeah. it. Um, but yeah, what a, what a team you know, that would be if they were playing all the time together. They lost 4-3 to Brazil that day. They, they played a nation once again as yeah, the anthem. Yeah. I don't know if that was the most sensitive choice. I don't think they, no, I don't think they played it as an anthem. Like that was, but a band did play the nation once again at the venue. So that, that was, it wasn't very subtle, definitely not. So, so what did you find, Cormac, then when you started looking into it? So I went and, and I assumed the IFA were totally against it. I didn't see any evidence of that. But what I did see was that there were a number of attempts made by the FAI to meet up with the IFA to see could they have one international team. And the IFA unanimously agreed to have talks with them. Now they went on from 73 to 1980. Like Harry Cavan, he was the president of the IFA at the time. He was vice president of FIFA, so a very powerful man in world football. He himself, who was seen as the biggest enemy of a United Ireland team, he said it was nonsensical having two um, football teams in a small island. But he did add a caveat. It was, you're living in cloud cuckoo land if you think we're going to win the World Cup with, with two, two amalgamated together. So th- there were genuine attempts. You know, I, I don't think there was ever a case where the two associations were ever going to amalgamate the one, one association. But there was a real talk of a one international team been governed by two associations. It's interesting the players came together like that because when we interviewed Liam Brady on the TV show last year, he read his book, which he wrote when he was 24. He was just in the process of leaving Arsenal at the time. So he was player of the year at the time and he devoted an entire chapter to a United Irish football team and why it should happen and the issues that were blocking it. There was a scene at Arsenal uh, where he was playing at the time when himself, they were drawn, Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland were drawn against each other in the qualifiers. Euro 80 qualifiers, yeah. Euro 1980. Yes, yeah, yeah. 78 and 79 were the first times described yeah. this scene where six Irishmen, as he says, faced up to the sickening and depressing reality that they would have to try and knock each other out. He reckons that actually the players wanted to do it, the fans wanted to do it, which might be a little optimistic in some cases, no, I'd no, say. definitely not. According to Brady, the fans would tear down the border in order to get an Irish football team together. And it was actually the administrators, he says, were selfish, they were ignorant, and it was the administrators that stopped it. I would say the fans were the biggest obstacle, and still are. Um, actually, John Giles, he launched my book with Eamon Dunphy on, in September, and, and Giles said, look, all of them, take Arsenal, for example, in the 70s. There were three players from the Republic of Ireland and three players from Northern Ireland playing that same team. And they all w- would have played together in, in an international team. George Best was all, always calling for an All-Ireland team. So the players definitely were in favour of it, um, by and large. The administrators, I think there was, there, the IFA definitely had struggles. But I think it was led by the fans. The fans definitely up in the north of Ireland did not want United Ireland. And I think we look at the Linfield-Dundalk game in 79. 
that really highlighted the the big differences between uh, the different f- set of fans. Oshin, does that sound more convincing that it was might have been the fans that were blocking this <laughs> amalgamation? Yeah. yeah, it's interesting. The first thing that one of the first things that Richie pulls upon is the flag thing, the anthem thing. I mean, first of all, we should be able to see is there a hunger for it? You know, if there is a hunger for it between. Um, both associations, and I, I think you know it's something that should definitely be explored because when you watch the rugby, you sort of be envious of okay, there's boys there who don't sing the national anthem, but if that's all that we have to put up with for a United Irish soccer team, I don't know how many uh, how many of the Northern Ireland team would get into the Republic of Ireland team. Um, probably a lot more now than five, six, seven years ago. We can, we might be able to find that out at some point. Tonight. You'd have to. <laughs> You'd be dealing with more than the the decision as to how to pick a flag or an anthem or a home venue or a crest or which association takes ownership of the team. I think the supporters, you have to respect the views of the supporters of Northern Ireland as much as the Republic. And I think it's, it's way more than just a selection of those items which they could be sticking points you get over. But there'd be a load of people would be dead against this idea. Yeah, I mean, what I what, what I found sort of interesting, I mean, remember when we were reading that Brady book, you know, this this is like a book which is lost in the midst of time, you know, Liam Brady's autobiography when he was 24, you know, it's, it's kind of out of print and stuff, it's not exactly current, but to read a player, quite a young player at that stage, being very political, saying, oh, this is ridiculous, you know, we need to, this is what we have to do, uh, these blazers are selfish and ignorant, they just want to keep their jobs, but this is what everybody wants. I just was thinking, nobody talks like this now. No, but there isn't, there isn't a single footballer now who would dare to express his opinion as, no. as openly as that. James McLean surely does, no? Yeah, there is one single he's, footballer. He's the only one, yeah. Although it's not as constructive. <laughs> 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 I mean, with James, James McLean, we were, I mean, he was going to come up. Like, he is... I mean, I wonder what you, what you think of the way that he sort of articulates well, his I think views. I think the big thing with that, Ken, is that I think that the Republic of Ireland players would feel a lot more comfortable talking about this you asking a player f- you ask a Northern Ireland player I mean uh, Owen we touched on it with Keith Gillespie last week <laughs> and he, he absolutely run from it you know he wanted to run and hide from it and, yeah, and I can ex- understand just explain that that scenario we were doing an event with, with Ushin and Keith, Keith Gillespie last week and Ushin threw that hot potato at Keith. why couldn't we all just go together to the Euros <laughs> yeah we should all go together Keith Gillespie just sat there frozen in fear and silence <laughs> Was, I'm, I'm not touching that. Literally, literally, wouldn't say anything that could be construed as a comment one way or the other. Uh, yeah, and I think that I think that'll be the case with a lot of the players who play for the North is that they will be f- running scared from this particular topic. I think a little bit easier for the Republic of Ireland. You kind of understand it though, wouldn't you? Like if you were a footballer in the North and you come out with a comment, it doesn't matter what your view is. You kind of invite a response from. People you with extreme views or, or people who, who, who have really strong views in this issue. You have to look back at not that long ago with the treatment that Neil Lennon got when he played with the North. You know what I mean? That's who he grew up with. He grew up playing youth football, uh, played a bit of Gaelic, moved on, got a professional career, still wanted to play with the North. And, you know, he got death threats and, you know, he was booed every time he got the ball in Windsor Park. And, I mean. Sorry, how come, though, that uh, Best and, and Derek Duggan, like they were calling, like Best, his family were all unionists. They're all in the Orange Lodge. Like how how was he so vocal about having in United Ireland team? And well, I why, why was that? Why then? When this is during the height of the troubles, which was way more violent back then. Because the because twenty five years later, people's attitudes had changed because he'd had the yeah. troubles going on for that length of time. I mean, I think that that's probably the big difference. 
you know, I mean, whatever thing, whatever the situation was in 1970, um, obviously it wasn't great. But yeah. the problem is, after 25 years, everything kind of hardens and people's attitudes become. You know, you kind of get this generational thing happening then. So someone like Lenin at that stage, I mean, I think that's why it weirdly seems more bitter after the you know officially the peace has kind of been signed but like these sort of attitudes hang on and i think it's because of the it's because you had so much violence for so long it could be yeah i'm, I'm actually trying out i don't know myself the answer because uh, or it, it is it is it is, uh, it is very weird i find that there, there's less talk of this now than there was during the troubles is that not just more about the fact that footballers don't say anything now though an entire season with Tottenham Hotspur and every player telling them their innermost fears and their personal lives, all this kind of stuff. <laughs> so footballers in general just don't talk anymore as opposed to being specific to this. That's certainly true. I mean, they, they do say a lot less for, for, for good reason in many cases, but it's, it's also possible that the players don't have a strong view on this. This is like largely a political issue. It, it's, you, you can put forward the sporting argument, which is straightforward. You say, well, if the pool, from player, the, the pool that you get to pick players from is made bigger, you assume you'll get a better team from it. So that's straightforward enough, but it's a, essentially a political issue. And it's very possible that a lot of fellas, the age group of these lads, aren't actually that interested in this issue at all. O'Shane, what do you think? Yeah, I, I agree that it might be a forceful opinion, but surely they have some sort of opinion on it. And I think it should be... Uh, like, if I was a journalist right now, I'd, be, I'd, I'd throw it in. I'd throw it in and I'd see, you know, what happened, because... The big thing about uh, about both teams going, it makes it sort of more relevant now than it has been in quite a while. Because let's face it, you know, does it make it more relevant though? If both both because both teams at the moment are will see themselves as successful, so the need to change. It's not like there's a pressing urge to do this to capitalise on the golden generation that's been in both countries. We're not talking about this is the best crop of Republic players and the best crop of Northern, and we're sitting here fantasising about Jesus the achievements of these lads if we club them together could be way more than we've ever done separately. That's not the case. Uh, can I, can I, yeah, sorry, Cormac, do you want to come in yeah, there? Yeah. I, I actually think, and even though it was a great success by both Irish teams mm. getting to the Euros, like it is a bit of a misnomer. It's like, how many teams are in UEFA? Is it 53? So 24 are invited to this party. So that's pretty much half the countries are. The real uh, litmus test on how strong Northern Ireland and Republic are will be the World Cup. And I can't see us qualifying for decades to come, to be honest, you know, unless there's a huge uh, difference of talent. I think we'll have to. If we want to qualify for a World Cup, we're going to have to pull our resources. And I, and I think as well that, you know, okay, we're sort of on the crest of a wave and that both, both teams will qualify, but that soon changes a lot whenever you actually get the performances. If you don't qualify for the latter stages of competition, uh, all those views change very, very quickly. Yeah. You should know this. You're a pundit. Yeah. <laughs> well, it is, it is true that the more successful the teams are, the less this subject comes up. And usually when they're doing badly, that's when it kind of comes up. But the success on the field is a, is an irrelevant thing, really. It's, it's more about what, what it can do for both countries. You know, I, I think if there, if there was political will or political well, pressure like from both sides you know, to, to, get, to get this two associations, to get lads get in a room make this well, happen, there's a greater good here well the, one, focus. The, one, the one Trump card we have is John Delaney who said he wants this so maybe he, he, would, he could be the one to step away from his job and allow the IFA guy he, to, to he run would, the he, to You run would expect job. him to step aside for the greater good He has said this ambition is, but the, po the point about it is that it's, it's about, it's like Oshie was saying, you know uh, we we're, we go up to Belfast. You know, we play home matches in Belfast. We play home matches in Dublin. They get to realise we don't all smell of diesel. 
You know what I mean? And uh, and, and that you get that uh, on on both sides. You get a kind of a, a common sort of interest to, to. I mean, I'm not saying it's going to be like a. You know, it's going to solve all the problems, but it does give rather than having two separate uh, focuses, both of which are increasingly thinking of themselves as different from each other. You have one team which everybody can support. Yeah, but even in Northern Ireland, it's uh, you know, there's a it's complicated enough there in the sense that, for example, the day Ireland played Germany and Northern Ireland playing Greece, there's a tweet from the BBC's Mark Simpson. I don't know if anyone saw this at the time. Said that DUP mo- mo- had passed a motion wishing Northern Ireland well. Then Sinn Féin passed a motion wishing the Republic well. Only after the Unionists got to add Scotland to the motion. And that tweet arrived at 3:04 a.m. the night before the games. So there was a bit of a barn burner meeting. And this is going on. There's an ar- argument this week. If the SDLP want a joint reception for the two uh, the two teams in Belfast City Hall. Unionists are saying, well, okay, if we have Wales over, if we have England over. So it's it's pretty. Co- it's kind of hard to see how you resolve all that. Yeah, you just have to know the political situation. You just have to watch uh, what do you call it, that boy's show, Nolan. Steve the Nolan Allen. show on a on a on a Wednesday night. I mean, if you want to see hatred and politics at its absolute worst, just watch that show for an hour or whatever it is. It's absolutely mind-boggling. And imagine the power of a of a United Ireland team thrown into that mix and forgetting them, thro- putting all that stuff behind you because there is going to be a generation on. Remember, okay. It's going to be a bit down the road, but there's going to be a generation come along. They don't give a shit what happened in the past. Honestly, people have too much going on in their lives now. It's happening in the north all the time. I see it all. You know, if you go to Ravenhill and watch it, watch a game on a on a Friday night. I'm telling you, it's actually it's a great place to be. There's such a good uh, people are starting. To, people are mixing together, and I know, like, what is 2015? I'm talking about people are able to mix together at a, at a sporting event. Fucking crazy, like you know, isn't it? And yet, and yet, there's uh, Johnny Waterson had a story this week in the Irish Times. Uh, his column was headlined "Will Sectarianism Follow the Fans to France?" He essentially made the point that it would be best, really, for both sets of fans if they happened to be drawn in cities that were maybe a few hundred kilometers apart, just in case there were there were any issues between them. Is that was that a viable concern? Yeah, he was making the point that there could potentially be trouble if they were based in the same yeah, area. Yeah, essentially, what he said it would be better. He didn't quite say there could be trouble, but that's what he was getting at. And Johnny Waterson isn't one to uh, rabble around. saying it would be best if they were on opposite sides of the country, if, basically. Yeah, if we want to show our, our best side over there. Would you agree? You would, you would have more knowledge of the, the behaviour of the people up in the north, but I assume there would be legitimate concerns there. There would be some aspect of the support, possibly... I'd actually love to see them beside each other. I'd love to see them in, in towns beside each other and let's see how it goes. You Do you expect because any issues, though? What? Would you expect any... There'll be fucking mindless idiots. There's mindless idiots from every, in every, from every supporters, you know? So there will, be, there, w- there will be issues with a certain small minority, but I'd love to see the two of them thrown together and just have one massive big party instead of a big yeah, party. Um, D- the um, the IFA h- had a bad image in terms of how it treated Catholics for particularly the 80s, 90s and going on in the 2000s and, and justified to be honest, in my opinion in a lot of cases because they always seem to side with the, the Protestant leaning clubs like Linfield against Donegal Celtic or, or, or whatever other teams but they have really cleaned up their act on the, in the 2000s since the Good Friday Agreement like when there is a big Billy Boy section Windsor Park and I, now that the IFA have a football for all campaign where they drown out any Billy by chance, they get uh, you know uh, big loudspeakers. So I do think there are, and Michael O'Neill is, is a Catholic, obviously his manager. So there is efforts to clean it up. I think most Northern Ireland fans just want to watch a game of football. There is definitely a security concern because there would be people going to start a fight. But I don't think it'd be as big a concern as 
as a lot of other teams. Michael O'Neill had a great quote he's interviewed lately and he brought it up. He said, look, a lot of people have been saying I was appointed the manager because I'm Catholic. He said, I'm not here to say mass, I'm here to pick a team. <laughs> Which is a great comment and you know, it kind of gets to the nub of it. But are those efforts bearing fruit, do you think, in recent years? Oshin, you, say, you say they are in rugby, you say Ravenhill <coughs> seems to be fine, but that going to an international at Windsor Park still would feel a little bit different for you. Well, it still feels a little bit different, but it's something I will do now. You know, and I, I, you know, I think the appointment of Michael O'Neill, okay, if it wasn't just because he's a Catholic, it certainly has worked in their favour big time because I think there's a real softening, as I've already said, but also the way Michael O'Neill has conducted himself, the way he carries himself, and the way he sort of separates himself from all of that division. And I think that is the, the, that's the biggest thing that, that he's brought. Well, obviously, he's qualified them for, a, for, for the Euros, but apart from that, that's the biggest thing he's brought because he's started to... Bring, he's brought a lot more Catholics back to uh, Windsor Park, and and I, I think that can only be a good thing. And um, you know the, they've responded in kind. Team has responded in kind. You know, and there's much more, as I say, there's much more support from the Catholic from the Catholic end of things. There's Catholics in the north who who are staunch Northern Ireland fans, absolutely staunch Northern Ireland fans, and they'll go everywhere to see them. So that's what I'm saying. With, I'd love to see the two countries side by side in in, uh, in France. You'd love to see it, uh, Richie. Ah, <laughs> oh God, I don't. I, I'm not sure I care. <laughs> that's no, that's the way I feel about it, Cormac. Yeah, I would. Like, why not put a resources together? Absolutely. We put this to the crowd. Maybe a, a vote, a show of hands. Who'd like to see an All Ireland team? Oh, quite a few actually. Oh, Are you just saying that now? Uh, Playing the category. I'd say to about half and half. Is it? Is there? Can you try? Can maybe, yeah. Maybe if you, don't want not, if you don't want an All-Ireland team, put up your hands. No, there's a lot. There's less. I think it's I'd an All-Ireland team birds. here. The, the crowd yeah. have, have spoken. Or at least have put Take up their hands anyway. To, uh, storm it, how, many right people, how many people just don't care? Am I on my own? Oh, one other. Oh, there's loads. Hang on. Some of the same people are putting their hands up for not caring after both previous answers. Listen, folks, you've been absolutely brilliant. A round of applause, please, for Cormac Moore, Shane McConville, and Richie Sadler. See, people got this mother of your bags in your desk, boom. Your bags in your desk, boom. I mean it, I'm fucking raging. Speak from my heart. Who would I want in? I've got my Terry Butcher in. Mr. Tate, how you doing? Not too good after tonight. You got the job on the technicality of a legend who recommended you. Take no peep, I take no peep, I take no, I take no, I take no peep. Just so what's up, don't try to get so deep. You know me, but I can't yell me. You have lost the fans tonight. You don't deserve the fans. What's it, the fans? Just need to fucking work on it. You are nothing. You are a fool, and you are a waste of time. Good night. Oh, the Guinness Book of Records stuff. Get out! Get out! He's your biggest fool in Manchester. All right, well, that was our official book launch. The book, it was already there. It's already been in our hands. It's in good, all good bookshops. It's in Easton's. It's everywhere. It's secondcaptains.com. But it's officially launched now because we talked about it last night in mm. front of a room full of people. And that's how these things, uh, these things work. Um, a, a guy t- uh, tweeted me during the week to say, is this like Spotify where if I buy it, the ads stop? Uh, and all, all I said to him was, uh, why don't you buy a copy and see, and see if it works? So all of you out there, you have your you have your advice. Ken, what about it was an interesting topic, uh, not the usual topic that's talked about at book launches. I don't think, but I hope the uh, crowd enjoyed it. There, I never asked you. Would you like an All Ireland football team? I think I think probably yeah yeah yeah. 
You don't sound totally. <laughs> it sounds like you're thinking about this one on the spot, kid. Well, I mean, the you're not like Richie who couldn't care less. Psychologists. Well, <laughs> yeah, but it, I mean, I think it's it's kind of a. I'm what I'm interested in Owen is healing. Mm-hmm. I've always been interested in healing, and I feel that that's what one way we could heal heal ourselves as a nation, as an island, mm. is by you know reaching out and and joining hands. Uh, I mean, it's obvious that a lot of Northern Ireland supporters find this sentiment imperialist, um, you know, threatening, trying to engulf and destroy their their separateness, their identity, their, you know, proud tradition and, and all this kind of thing. I, I understand that. And it's, you know, it's not something I expect to happen because you've got two systems which have kind of grown up now, both of which have a, have an interest in keeping themselves going. You know, the FAI and the IFA, IFA are both, um, you know, well, what's going to happen there? Are they gonna, they're going to amalgamate, synergize, and, and lose, half their, lose half their employees or a third of their employees. I mean, the same thing with the leagues. Then you've got issues like European places. You know, you've got fewer of them to go around because you know, there would only be one country. You know, there's, there's obviously vested interest kind of in just keeping the situation going as it is. But I do think that um, a team that everybody you know, in Ireland. Because, I mean, it is it is Ireland. You know what I mean? It doesn't necessarily have to be all the Republic of Ireland. Um, it's still Ireland. It's like, um, you know, I think a lot of people now have this idea that Northern Irish is like a separate thing, you know? It's kind of, it, it started off as a, as a fictional, it's a, it's an invention, you know, of comparatively recent times, mm-hmm. which now people think of as a, as a separate category. You know what I mean? Northern Irish. It's like Irish. You know, people, I you know, I, I, a lot of people don't even realise Oh, but you know that's the UK. Well, it is the UK, and people from the north of Ireland will some some of them will say I'm you know I describe myself as British, but you're still Irish. You know what I mean? British and Irish are not exclusive. They, you can be both. It's yeah. like you can be British and Scottish, British and English, British and, British, exactly <laughs> British and and Welsh. So it is it is Irish. Uh, Northern Irish is still you know it's the same thing. Now, I'm not talking about like let's go and take back the six counties. It's not, it's not like that. But it's, you know, I, I don't really... Given that it works in rugby, given that it works in, uh, in every other sport, um, I, think it, I think it would be nice. Okay. It would be nice. I, 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 I want to reach out to, to my northern brethren, even the ones who believed that the Giants' Causeway was put there 6,000 years ago by, you know, the, the biblical literalist wing. I, I want to reach out. Even those guys. The Irish I, Times. We, that we're, all, we're all Irish. Don't, don't forget. forget. Don't forget, Ken. The Irish Times Second Campus Football Podcast is out later today. That's... Yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. But you know what you're talking about. What did you want? I'd like to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to you, please. I'll say it to oh, you now. I'm down to Anfield and we'll see them, won't we? What you doing down here, you surely, man? <laughs> Well, Owen, we are going to talk about the Champions League. A bit of the Champions League this uh, week. Some amazing football again from Barcelona. Some, oh, not so amazing football from Manchester United. No. Uh, and some very grumpy former Manchester United players who are having all sorts of pops at Van Hal and his players. Um, and so we'll cover all that. Great stuff. That's it from this show. Thanks very much for listening. Thanks to everyone who made the book launch happen last night as well. We had a very successful, very enjoyable night. Uh, thank, very, thank you very much, Ken and Murph. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Owen. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off.
ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.